It's uh, great to have you all uh, here today. I hope, uh, I, I hope you can stay for lunch. Um, we, want, uh, uh, we wanted today, today to, to, for today to be kind of a day of celebration. Um, and, and there's a couple things that we're kind of thinking about as, as a church. And uh, one is that this week, I, I think it's Wednesday is the official day, but this week uh, is our 65th uh, birthday as a church. So uh, I'm going to talk about it later in the sermon, but 65 years of impacting this community, uh, 65 years of uh, changed lives, and we, we want to acknowledge that and celebrate that. Uh, the other thing that we wanted to celebrate today is we are uh, at about the one-year mark uh, of uh, one year ago today, uh, we launched this whole now is the time thing. Uh, and now is the time, if, if you're new or, or just haven't heard about this before, it was our initiative to make some changes to our building so it would be a little more guest-friendly and invest in the next generation. And so you can walk right through uh, these double doors and the doors uh, on the other side of that door and kind of see some of the renovation happening right now uh, in kids' ministry, uh, that they're going to have a, a very uh, nice kind of new space by the end of all this. We're in the middle of that. But what I wanted to do, uh, since we just came out of offering, is just update you real quick on the financials. Uh, Pat uh, talked last week about where the building, where, where uh, the physical stuff was and the building stuff. I want to update you kind of at the one-year mark on the financials. And um, this number, every time I see this number that Connie, uh, uh, our secretary, runs a report for me every month, and every time I see this number, it causes my heart to be filled with such gratitude because it blows me away, and I'll tell you why it blows me away uh, in, in a minute. But so far, uh, through the month of October, uh, so far for building renovation, and now is the time and all that stuff, so far we have collected $277,000. Um, now, what, what is amazing about that is our annual budget is $340,000. All right, we've collected just for building renovation so far $277,000. Um, through uh, October so far, we have spent about $200,000, all right? That's on buildings, that's the beginning of Kids Zone, um, that, that's mainly those two projects. We've spent about $200,000, and so far, as of uh, the end of October, cash on hand right now, we have $154,000, all right? So that's kind of where things are. Right now, we're sitting with cash at a, about $154,000, we've taken in two seventy-seven. dollars and we've spent 200, all right? So we are, we are in, in really good shape. Now, the thing about that is, is going into the future, we're waiting on plans for the foyer. Uh, we have the actual uh, architecture plans. We're waiting on budget. So we're waiting on foyer and a few other projects like that. We have, we're planning to spend about another $400,000 um, in, in this building. That's about the budget that's left. Uh, so when all is said and done, we will have done about a $600,000 renovation. Uh, so, you know, $154,000 is great. We, we are going to spend another, um, uh, another $400,000. So we have a year of now is the time left. Uh, we have some approved debt that, we've, uh, that the eldership has agreed to and all of that. We're, we're in great, a great position. And, and so what, what I really wanted to just say to you today uh, before I start the sermon is thank you, right? Um, that, that we're really, really appreciative. I'm going to go into a little more detail on this stuff at our congregational meeting in two weeks. Uh, two weeks from today, but I wanted to just kind of let you know where things were. Um, we're hopeful this week we're going to get a budget for the foyer and know more of what that's going to look like. We're hopeful to have that this week. Um, you know, there's no guarantees we've all discovered. So, um, but we're, we're hopeful to have that soon and then be able to, that'll, that'll help us make decisions about what's going to happen in here in terms of carpeting and all that stuff. So we're just waiting on some things right now, but your faithfulness 
uh, and, and um, well, your faithfulness has made, has made these things possible. So we're, we're grateful. Now, I, I, I wanted to just kind of lay one other thing kind of at you. You'll be getting a letter about this later. Um, but one of the things that was suggested to us by one of the companies that we worked with was at about the one-year mark, uh, you send people a letter and you kind of let them know how much of their two-year commitment they fulfilled. We've decided not to do that, all right? Um, that, that we didn't, we, that's just not our style. And so what we did want to say to you is if you are curious about kind of where you're at in terms of your commitment, just email or call the church office. We'd be glad to get that information to you. But you are not um, going to get like a little pie chart or a graph about this is how far you are in your commitment, all right? Um, we, we, we don't even know what your commitment was at this point, your individual commitment. And so we've decided not to track that at all. Um, but we, we want to, if, if you're wondering um, kind of what you've given and kind of where you're at, just call the church office. It'll also be on your year-end giving statement, um, kind of how much you've given and now is the time and how much you've given to the regular budget. So, um, so you can kind of do that math, all right? Um, that's that. That's where we're at. There's still a sermon ahead, so let's pray. All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Uh, we thank you for uh, today. Um, we thank you for your grace. And um, this whole month, we just wanted it to be all about Thanksgiving uh, to, to you, um, all the things that you're doing uh, in and through our church. We are just uh, so grateful. And uh, we're uh, really excited about a future that, that you have planned for us. So we thank you uh, for the ways that you're moving. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I don't remember where I first uh, read this, but I came across this a while back. I think maybe I originally saw it in Reader's Digest, but somebody wrote in uh, kind of one of those funny little stories where they said, um, our eldest uh, daughter, Anne, had brought a college roommate home uh, for, th for Thanksgiving dinner. And over the course of the Thanksgiving meal, uh, they got into kind of a robust and heated uh, discussion over some topic. Uh, politics, sports, you know, you could pick any topic. And it started to get a little bit heated and, like I said, a little bit robust. And all of a sudden, the family in the middle of all this remembered that they had a guest with them. And, and they all just kind of stopped. And it's like, oh, we've kind of let them into a window, opened a window into our family. And they got kind of silent and awkward. And uh, the roommate that was there uh, kind of sensed this and said, hey, don't worry about me. I was brought up in a family too. Um, and, and I think there's a lot of truth to that. There is a, a tension that I want to kind of build with you that, that comes around this time of, of year. And here's the tension. If I were to go around this room right now, as Thanksgiving's coming in just about three weeks or so, two and a half, if I were to go around this room and say, what are you thankful for? I would guess in the top five of everybody would probably be a relationship. It would probably have something to do with people on some level. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for my friends. I'm thankful for this person, my church, whatever. It would be relational. Now, with the holidays rolling up, if I were to go around this room and I were to say, what is your greatest sense of dread about the holidays? I'm guessing for a good chunk of people, it would be a relationship. Right? It would be a person, and you would say, man, I've got this brother, and all he wants to talk about is politics, and he wears us all out. It gets so awkward. Or I have these cousins and they haven't talked to each other in years, and they're going to both be at Thanksgiving, and they're not going to talk there, and it's just going to be awkward and weird. Or I have a dad. He loves the Cardinals. Everybody else in the family loves the Cubs. And it's just awkward. And there's a tension around these two ideas. 
that we are thankful for our relationships. We're thankful for the people in our life, but they do, if we are honest in the church, this is church, so we're going to be honest, they do occasionally offend you and bug you and in general drive you nuts. So how do you deal with that tension? Now open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 1, all right? Uh, 1 Corinthians 1, uh, that the Apostle Paul, he would write these different letters uh, to, to the different cities that he had visited and different churches that he uh, had planted. And he writes this one to the people living uh, in Corinth, a, a church that he had spent a lot of time with. This was a major kind of metropolitan area Corinth was in the first century. Um, it was a city that was full of idolatry. It had some Jewish men and women in it, but mostly it was Gentile. And um, Paul is going to write this letter to them. Now, before we get to that, I want to just put up on the screen for you. This is from the book of Acts, and it shows kind of Paul's initial visit to the city in Corinth. And this will kind of help us set the table uh, a little bit better. It says, after this, Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came to Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed uh, Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest from them and said, "'Your blood be on your own hands.'" Uh, on your own heads. I'm innocent of it. From then on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titus Justice, a worshiper of God. Crispus, a synagogue leader and the entire household, believed. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night, the Lord spoke to him in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you. No one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. All right? So Paul, you can see God's affection for this city and for this church. That God says, it's, gonna, it's tough, but don't leave, don't run away. I want you to stay and I want you to preach. And so Paul ends up staying there, like the text says, about a year, a year and a half. And he develops an incredible heart for the people of Corinth. And he ends up writing them, we think, three letters. Only two of them were preserved. But I want to show you kind of how Paul starts out this letter uh, his letter of thanksgiving. Uh, and we're going to, if you'll go on a walk with me today, we're going to study this first, and then we're going to, I want to show you how Paul manages this tension uh, of being thankful for people, but they also sometimes drive you nuts. All right? And, and I'll show you this in this text. But let's start in verse 4. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and all kinds of knowledge, God is thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you may be uh, blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, uh, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So he starts out by thanking God for this church. And I want to show you uh, the way that he does this, because this is, I think, really, really interesting as the letter goes on. He says, first of all, you have been enriched in every way. 
you have been made rich in every way. This is a really interesting kind of term because typically when Paul writes these letters, you can kind of study them uh, throughout the whole New Testament. Typically when Paul writes these letters, he, he, will, he will talk in the present tense to make sure that it is completely understood that God's work is ongoing in the, in the hearts of the people. In this text, he uses the past tense that you have been, in the past, you have been enriched in every way. And it's kind of a, a strange thing for Paul to do this. And there's a, ton of, uh, there's a ton of reasons why Paul may have done it. The one that I like best is that he wants to take just a minute and acknowledge the ways that God has worked in this church and in the people's lives in the past. He wants to kind of give a head nod to, to the past because Paul had heard these stories of what happened when the Corinthian church was planted, how people were being baptized and marriages were being healed and uh, priorities were being changed. And Paul heard about that. The, the church had this rich kind of history go, going back. And Paul wanted to take a minute and say, man, you remember how you have been enriched in every way. And I find that interesting because like I said earlier, our church is turning 65 years old this week. And our church also has this rich history um, a history of lives being changed and marriages being healed and people coming to Jesus and being baptized. We, we have this kind of rich history, and I'm, I'm guessing you do too, that you can look back on your life and see all the ways uh, in which God has worked in your life in the past, and you want to take just a moment to reflect on that and, and thank God for it. So Paul starts in the past. He says, Corinth, you've been enriched in every way, but he doesn't stay in the past. He moves forward into the present. He says this, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He says, man, right now in the present, right now you're waiting. You're waiting for Jesus to return. And waiting is hard. Have you ever been to Disney World with a five-year-old? All right. Waiting is hard. It's hard for adults too, especially when we know that Jesus, during his earthly ministry, Jesus said one time that in this world you will have trouble, that Jesus predicted trouble. Why? Because he doesn't love us? No, because this is a broken and fallen world and it's been shaped and tarnished by sin. Let me ask you this. Do you believe that God the Father loves Jesus the Son? Yeah, anybody would agree that, that he does, but Jesus had trouble in this world. And Jesus had hardship in, the, in this world. Friends betrayed him. They falsely accused him. They nailed him to the cross. And God most definitely loves Jesus, but this is a broken and fallen world. And so sometimes trouble comes. Now, there's not always trouble. There's a, a lot of joy. Trouble's not permanent. Jesus, uh, Jesus is going to come someday and destroy sin and death and destruction will be destroyed, all that stuff. But right now we wait. Right now we're waiting. And right now, as we wait, there is sometimes trouble and hardship and pain. Now, look at the promise to the Corinthian church. The promise is not that while you wait, you will have a trouble-free life. That is not the promise to them. The promise is that while you wait, you do not lack any spiritual gift while you wait. That Jesus Christ is going to give you everything that you need while you wait. He gives us every gift, every grace that we need to live the life we are called or, or, or just come into, that we're called or allowed to live. He gives us everything we need. So sometimes people say, Man, I'm not sure I can do this another minute. I'm not sure if I can stand up under this pressure. Or they'll hear somebody else's thing and they're like, I could never do that. I could never go through that trial. And here's the promise of Scripture. You will not lack any spiritual gift while you wait. 
Jesus Christ loves you. You will not lack any gift while you are waiting. That, that while, while you're walking the road that you're called to walk, he will give you every gift that you need. Now let me just say, we were never meant, this was written to a church. We were never meant to operate as individuals. So when it comes to waiting, there are no lone rangers, all right? There are no lone rangers in waiting uh, because uh, sometimes the thing that you need most while you're waiting is found in somebody else. And this is why God has given us the, the church. This is why we thank God for his church. Why we thank God for relationships. Because sometimes the thing you need most is in the person seated right next to you. Sometimes the, the thing you need most is found in them. You need encouragement. And the person right next to you has the spiritual gift of encouragement. Isn't that amazing? Or, or sometimes you might need to be challenged. And the person sitting right next to you has the spiritual gift of proclamation. Or you might need some resource and, and some help that way. And the person right next to you has the spiritual gift of generosity. Don't be a lone ranger as you wait. Because the thing you might need most, it might be found in the person right next to you. So you can see there's a past element. You've been enriched in every way in the past. There's a present element that you have been given every spiritual gift while, while you're waiting. Right now you're waiting for Jesus Christ to return. You've got every gift that you need to make it through whatever tr trouble or trial that you have. And then there's also a future element. Look at what it says. He says, and he will keep you until the end. He will keep you to the end. So there's a future element to what God is doing in the Corinthian church too. And we tend to worry a lot about the future, don't we? Because the future feels uncertain. It feels unreliable. It feels like it's not really faithful. And some of us really allow our head to get spinning about the future. What am I going to do if? If I lose my job or if someone I love gets sick or this happens or that happens, something happens with my kids, what am I going to do? And I love what Paul says. You don't know that. But here's what you do know. God will keep you strong to the end. That God is faithful. While circumstances may be uncertain, the thing we know for certain is verse 9. God who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, he's faithful. That God is faithful. And God is already in the future. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's already there. He already knows what's going to happen. And he already knows what you need. He already knows what you need, and he's there waiting for you to give you his power and his grace and, and his love. They're waiting for you to sustain you and help you and walk you through whatever race he has, uh, th th whatever race is up ahead of you. He'll give you exactly what you need. So this book, like, I mean, it starts out in a very encouraging way, right? God's enriched you. You have every gift that you need. God is faithful. All this amazing stuff. He Paul obviously loves this church. He loves these people. Now for the rest of the book, he's going to rebuke them. Right? For the rest of the book, Paul is going to rebuke this church because they are wearing him out. They are frustrating him. You, you read through the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to talk about this later in the message. Paul is clearly miffed. He is clearly upset. He is clearly angry. And so he starts out in this very encouraging way. And then you get to chapter 3. And, and you find that these human leaders in the church, they're arguing about what human leader they're following. Some say, I follow Paul. Some say, I follow Cephas. Some say, I follow uh, Apollos. And it's interesting. When I was growing up, Everybody just kind of went to church and had their pastor or minister. We always wondered what the story with this was. It's like, what on earth is this? You just kind of go to church, you got your minister, and, and that's what it is. You know, this thing's coming back. 
This, this Corinthian problem is coming back because of the internets, right? And the worldwide webs, right? Um, that, that it is coming back, that you'll, you'll hear people talk about, well, I follow Andy Stanley, or I follow Beth Moore, or I follow Joel East, Osteen, and you start to hear some of these conversations come back. And if you've got a Twitter handle, it makes it worse because you literally can follow Joel Osteen, right? So, so it makes it even worse. So th- this whole thing's going on where people are following these human leaders. In chapter four, Paul is defending his apostleship. Because some in the Corinthian church were saying, Paul, you don't have the right to speak to us. You're not even an apostle. And so Paul has to defend his apostleship before them because they said he wasn't an apostle because he hadn't walked with Jesus. And Paul's perspective on this was, hey, I'm not going to be judged by any human court. Right? God has entrusted me to be an apostle, and I am accountable to him. I don't care if I'm judged by a human court. I am going to prove faithful with the trust that he has given me. And some of us, this is not what this sermon is about. Some of us need to care a little less about what others think. God has entrusted you with some stuff and you prove faithful with your trust. In chapter five, he addresses the sensitive matter of a man is having an affair with his father's wife. Ew. Gross, right? He's having an affair with his father's wife. And the church is not only challenging this man on it, they're actually celebrating the sin. And so Paul hears about this. In chapter six, he has to talk about lawsuits among believers, that some of the believers were having these business disputes, and instead of working it out, they were taking each other to court. And you think about even in a church our size, right, a kind of a medium-sized church, if two people in here fell into a business dispute and decided to sue each other, it would become an issue in a hurry. So you can imagine how, how this is happening, that, that these people are suing each other. In chapter 8, he talks about food sacrifice to idols, and we'll talk about that one more next week. But basically what would happen is that there'd be this uh, animal that was sacrificed to a false god. And then the leftover meat would go to the market. And so there was a great debate among the Christians about whether or not a Christian could eat that leftover meat. Right? Even if it was for sale in the penny saver right? Is it okay for a Christian to eat that meat? And it was sharply, sharp disagreement. Lots of major problems with unity, and we'll stop there, although I could go on. They are wearing Paul out. They are wearing him out. And you read, you read it for yourself sometime, the book of 1 Corinthians, and you'll discover that Paul seems frustrated he it feels like he's irritated, angry, mad. And the question is, how does this jive with the beginning of the book? The beginning of the book is you've been enriched in every way. You do not lack any spiritual gift. God is going to do this work in the future. The, the, book, the beginning of the book is this amazing thing. And then chapters three through the end are like, and now we got issues. And now we need to talk about some stuff. Right? You, you, you guys are wearing me out, Paul says. He, he's voicing his frustration. He's voicing his concern. He's addressing his problems. And it feels almost like family Thanksgiving, doesn't it? It feels like a real relationship. That you would say you love your sister. You're thankful for your sister. But she is wearing you out. Right? You, you would say that you love your best friend. They are your best friend for a reason. But they are driving you insane. You would say you love your family. But the holidays are coming up. And let's face it, some of you in this room are dreading it. 
Because people are messed up. We're messed up, we're broken, we make mistakes. And so this is a tightrope and a tension. I'm not getting too close to home, am I? I know things, I wanted to get this out of the way like three weeks before Thanksgiving, right? I didn't want to pop this on you the Sunday before, right? And here's the tightrope and the tension. How can I maintain, like Paul did, a sense of thanksgiving for someone I disagree with, for someone that drives me nuts, and someone that I just, ha- I just have major problems with their choices? Right? And, and I'm going to be around that all holiday long. How do I maintain a sense of thanksgiving in that situation? And I'll tell you, this is going to sound weird, but let, let's just go for, for a minute. I think it's all about having the right song in your head. When you read uh, the book of 1 Corinthians 1, those first uh, four verses that I shared with you, when you read those, it almost sounds as if Paul is like humming to a song. It, it almost reads like song lyrics. And so I think it is important as we approach Thanksgiving that we have the right soundtrack on, that we have the right song going through our head. Because a lot of us have a Thanksgiving or holiday song when it comes to our relationship. Some, for some of you, it's like Bon Jovi right? It's a rock anthem. And, and here's what you're saying as you approach Thanksgiving. I am living on a prayer. I'm living on a prayer. I, I can make it through the weekend. Or it's like eye of the tiger. It is the eye of the tiger. It's the thrill of the fight. I, I, I can make it. I can do it. For, for some of you, it's like a Johnny Cash song, right? And you're just kind of whistling the tune, Folsom Prison. As you're driving to Thanksgiving, it's like, I'm going to Folsom Prison I know I can't be free, right? Um, For some of you, and I'm really praying for for those of you in this position, for some of you, it's like a Taylor Swift song. All right, let me put this up on the screen for you. Here's Taylor Swift. You with your words like knives and swords and weapons that you use against me, you have knocked me off my feet again, got me feeling like a nothing. You with your voice like nails on a chalkboard, calling me out when I'm wounded. You picking on the weaker man. You can take me down with just one single blow, but you don't know what you don't know. Someday I'll be living in a big old city and all you're ever gonna be is mean. Someday I'll be big enough and you can't hurt me uh, and all you're ever gonna be is mean. Why you gotta be so mean, right? Some of you know that song. And that is the song of your heart when Thanksgiving rolls around. It's like, why you got to be so mean, sister or brother or whoever, right? So it's all about having the right song. And if I were going to kind of tell you Paul's song as he's singing those first couple verses of the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, here's the theme of his song. And I don't know what, what jingle it was to, but here's the theme of it. God's not done. God's not done with them that he really believed this about the Corinthian church. Did you catch that as we were studying it together? That the beginning of the book is all about the work of God, that God has done this work in the past. I might not be able to exactly see it, but God's doing a work in the present, and God's going to do a work in the future. You know how you can be thankful for people that you disagree with and have problems with and in general drive you nuts? The, keys up on the, the key for it is up on the screen for you. It is hope in the work of God. It is hope in God's work. It is a hope that they can change and that God is going to change them. It is a hope that God's not done with them yet. And you know how we can remember this? The way that we can always remember this is a little phrase I want you to remember always. It's called me too. That God's not done with them yet and God's not done with me yet either. Because you might be the person driving somebody else nuts. 
I, I've told people a long time ago that everybody has a crazy person in their family, and if you don't have one, guess what? <laughs> it's you. And I'm sorry to be the one to tell you that. Right? Everybody's got a crazy person. You're like, I don't have a crazy person. <sighs> yeah, all right. <laughs> that we have to remember that God's not done with me yet either. Um, Paul knew this better than anybody. At one point, he persecuted the church. He imprisoned Christians. He killed them. He, 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 he executed them. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears to him, and, and, and he becomes a pastor and a leader and a missionary just like that. Paul, when you read his writings, he knew change was possible. And he knew that God is always trying to bring change in the hearts and minds of, of, of his children. We just have to be open to it. That's why change doesn't always come, is we're not always open to it. So as you look around Thanksgiving this year, I want you to remember, God's not done with them yet. That person around the Thanksgiving meal that bugs you and drives you nuts and you just can't wait for the day to be over, God's not done with them yet. And you say, well, I think they're wrong. I disagree. I see the world in a totally different way. I want you to remember God's not done with them yet. God's at work in the past, he's at work in the present, and he's at work in the future. And you don't know what he's going to do. And I'm telling you, the way this gets infused with grace, like it did for Paul, because it's real easy for God's not done with them yet to become very judgmental, isn't it? Like, oh yeah, God's not done with them yet. Uh-huh. Preach it, Steve. You're right, God's not done with them yet. I've got a list of six things that God needs to get on, like pronto. Right? It is very easy for that to become very judgmental. The way it doesn't become judgmental is God's not done with me yet either. Me too. God's not done with me yet. And I know I drive some people in my life nuts. Because I know I need to change. I know I've got, I've got shortcomings. And the way it becomes graceful instead of judgmental is me too. It's remembering that God's not done with me yet either. That I need to change and I need his help. So let me encourage you. That son or daughter, and they're just driving you nuts right now with their choices. Can I speak something to you? God's not done with them yet. He's not. God's at work and he's not done. And maybe as a parent, you just need to hang on and see what God's going to do. That mom or dad and the relationship is so difficult and you're just kind of dreading it. God's not done with them yet. God's at work in the past. He's at work in the present. He'll be at work in the future. That coworker, that if it didn't affect your bonus, you would have killed him by now. Um, right, you want that year in bonus, so you don't, but God's not done with them yet. He's not. And change is possible. Now, I'm not going to promise you change because we have to be open to it and we have to have our hearts and our minds open. But I do, today I wanted to say to you, change is possible. So this year, I want us to thank God for the people that God has put in our lives. Even them. Even the ones you disagree with. Even the ones that drive you nuts. Even the ones that you're kind of dreading seeing. I want us to thank God for the people that he's put in our life and the impact they've had on our life. And I want us to remember, man, God's at work. Right? Sometimes it feels like maybe there's been no change. But if you think about that person, because you think about yourself this way too, if you think about that person that really kind of drives you nuts, they're different. Hopefully in a good way. Um, but they've changed. God's been at work. And we just want to remember that he's at work. And he'll always be at work in their life just like he is in mine. So this gives us hope. 
Even if things are not good, it gives us hope that God's not good. And you can just pray that they'll be open to what God's doing, because I promise you he's doing something, that, you be op- that they'll be open to it, that they'll receive it, that I'll be open to it, I'll receive it, that you'll be open and you'll receive it. But we have faith and confidence in the idea that God is at work. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for this day, and we want to thank you for your people. Um, we want to thank you for your people. Just like Paul uh, thanked God, thanked you for, for the Corinthian church, we want to thank you for your people. We want to thank you for your church. And relationships can be so hard and so difficult, um, but we know you're at work, and we have confidence in that. And so we just want to, as we're approaching Thanksgiving, we just want to remember that you're not done. You're not done. You're not done. And you're still at work in my life. You're still at work in their life. And maybe both of us need to change. But you're at work. And we're grateful for that. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and stand. We're going to sing a song of invitation. And we'd love to pray with you. I have a couple prayer counselors up here with me. And um, we'd love to pray for you. If, you're, if you are maybe having that kind of sense of dread, um, I, I want to I pray for you because relationships can be very, very difficult. Um, and uh, um, if you're interested in hearing more about the difference that Jesus makes in a person's life, we'd love to talk to you about that as well as we sing this song.